Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Oh, yes. Hi. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. We're actually recording this episode a little bit early uh, on December 20th. You're all listening to it on December 22nd uh, or, or later. You know, we know how podcasts work. So you're either listening to it on December 22nd or later, uh, but we're recording a little early. It's episode 268. My name is Nick Rome. I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey there. Hey there. Hello. It's it's the it's the last time you and I will meet this year, I think. That's true. Yeah. No, although, that's... although we will meet next week and we'll get to that. But we got to yeah. go, let me let me just go over the show first. Let me the, the tail of the tape. We got a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about chat GPT again. Uh, we're going to be talking about the UX and and why the conversational UI is powerful in some ways. We'll also be asking, answering some questions, asking questions. We always do that. Answering some questions from the community about transferring to human factors or user experience from as an occupational therapist, uh, how to learn about research methods after transitioning to the field and when to give potential employers the password for your case study. But first, we got some programming notes, and boy, do we have some good ones for you today. Next week, like I said, we'll be back. Well, Barry and I will be back um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in our what we call our holiday tradition, or you can think of it as our uh, Human Factors Cast holiday party, if you will. We all kind of get together. We recap all the stories of 2022. Barry and I will break down every month of the show Uh you know, from from uh, all the stories, we're we're gonna do that. We, get changed, yes. we, we change our clothes a few times. We do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's there's no expense spared in the in the costume department and hairstyling and also. And I hear you do not want to miss the last third of that show because we haven't recorded it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Anyway, that's next week. Uh, and then we'll be back with another regular show back at the beginning of January uh, on the 5th. So you can look forward to that. Hope you all have a great holiday season. I just want to start the show off in that way. It's it's the holiday season. Hope you all are well and are just having a great time with your families and the holiday cheer is just out there. I don't know. I feel like that's something special that I don't necessarily say all the time. But in the spirit of the holidays, we're giving. Um <laughs> There's so much stuff, Barry. I don't even know where to start. So uh, as as um, we're, we're doing like a Patreon refresh again, we do these every couple of years. We kind of reevaluate internally what's working, what's not working. Um, and uh, so some of the things that are going on here. So we're, we're kind of updating some of the role titles. So, you know, our honorary staff are now called all access members. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that change. We did clarify a couple of the benefits. No benefits are removed. We're just adding some. Uh, and so now's a great time to become a patron, especially as some of this stuff will be rolling out at the beginning of next year. Um, but we're excited to kind of announce Human Factors Cast Academy, which is our way of storing all the resources and sharing all those resources with you all that we uh, have put together over the years. We're slowly building this repository. Uh, we're planning to make our own courses at some point and put them up there, um, share content that is useful for folks. So that's that's available to our all access members. We wanted to make that tier a little bit more um, enticing and also give back for those who are supporting us at that tier. So there's a couple other things that I want to mention. First off, our deep dive series, that is now listenable. You can go listen to those stories, uh, to those deep dives, if you'd like, uh, half of them anyway. Uh, but those going forward will have uh, full audio tracks that you can listen to as you read along. Um, and those are awesome. Our deep dives are great. And I'm, I'm only allowed to say that because I did not write them. So, <laughs> so uh, go take a listen or read those. Uh, you can find those on our website under the blog. You can find all the deep dives right there. And then last but not least, I'm going to tease something really exciting for next year. Um, that's it. That's all I can say. There's something really exciting coming next year that uh, we, we can't quite share this yet. Um, we're having a meeting about it on Friday, and it is going to be an awesome thing. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we've always had stuff kind of in the back hopper working on stuff. This is going to be a good one. So stay tuned. All right, Barry, I've talked for like five minutes on this stuff. What's going on over at 1202? 
So 12.02, the interview with Tina Worthy still up. The um, She's given us all the insights into how the CIHF, the Charity Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors here in the UK, how it works and what goes on behind the scenes. The next episode may or may not drop before the UK, uh, before the new year because my workload has been super stacked. But where I've been crunching the numbers on what's been the most, what's been uh, listened to most, what's, what's been watched most, and really some of the barriers that we've broken this year, um, some of the targets that we've hit that I didn't even know were going to be targets uh, this year, but we've broken them anyway, which I think is fantastic. Um, so yeah, so keep listening and hopefully if I can get some time, we'll get that episode up before the end of the year. Breaking barriers. I love it. Oh, All right. You know, I find I finally listened to that episode with Tina. It's a great listen. Uh, Tina's just so great to listen to. <laughs> you guys have some great rapport with each other. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we get into the part of the show you're all here for? It's called Human Factors News. This is part of the show all about Human Factors News. Barry, what is the story this week? Surprise us. I think I should take over. Um, why? So the story we're going to talk about this week is why is the user experience of ChatGPT so powerful? ChatGPT, if you haven't heard of it yet, clearly we talked about it last week, is a chatbot application developed by OpenAI that has gained rapid popularity, getting 1 million users in just five days after its release. It's been hailed as a tool that has the potential to disrupt not only search engines, but also as fields such as e-learning, writing, and editing. The software is really highly versatile with advanced natural language processing capabilities that allows it to assist users in a wide range of tasks and help them expand their knowledge and skills. One of the elements that's been hailed as a key strength of ChatGPT is its simple and intuitive user interface, which follows a no UI approach, meaning that the interface is designed to be as minimalistic and as unobtrusive as possible. The perceived thinking is that it's better to have a simple and intuitive UI that allows the user to discover the power and functionality of the software on their own. This creates a sense of excitement and adventure as the user can discover new capabilities of the app and be pleasantly surprised by its power. This allows users to focus on the conversation and the task at hand rather than being overwhelmed by the technology. The simplicity of ChatGPT's user interface also makes it highly learnable allowing users to start using it quickly and easily without the need for extensive training or instruction. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on a no UI approach? I don't think it's a no UI approach. I think that the chat box is the UI. Anyway, I look, I think generally I'm pretty positive on this technology. There's been a couple good points brought out by listeners uh, who seem to think that I was really excited about this. I am for the potential. There's... Um, one one comment that we got was sort of, yes, this is great and can be transformative, but this is going to be used in the worst ways possible. People are going to use it to collect data and information on people in a million bad ways. And yes, that's true. We've mentioned on this show a million times, policy is not where it needs to be for where AI is right now. And we just keep pushing forward without thinking about the consequences. Yes, that is true. Also, I want to say that um, even though this... All that aside, thinking about the UI of chat GPT and other services that will ultimately come to follow, it is a conversational interface, but prompting is still an art, you know, mm -hmm. being able to put in the right words to make it do the right thing. Uh, and I do want to, some guy on is mad at us on TikTok <laughs> because, because we don't know how to prompt correctly. But I mean, that's not the point, right? The point is that humans shouldn't have to think about it for the system to return what they're asking for. And in a lot of cases, it does return what you're asking for. It's just that there's some like edge cases where it needs to understand a little bit more context around what you're asking. So in, in some ways, this is transformative. In other ways, uh, this dude on TikTok needs to get with the program. Um, so I don't know. Barry, what, what are your sort of initial thoughts on this? Well, firstly, I slightly got my high horse about this, if I'm brutally honest, where, where they claim it's a no UI approach. No, it's not. Yes. It's, got, it's got a UI. It's there. It's minimalist. It is, it's very clean, but you've got to put in, I think the one of the big drives I always have is to have a zero, minimal training or zero training approach to UI because there's all sorts of benefits if you go down that approach. This, you have to, and it, I, I really exemplify by your, um, um, guy who's got Madonna, Madonna, 
by us on TikTok. Because if you have to learn how to use the system in such a way to get the right sort of results, then the UI has failed, um, as far as I see it. There's, uh, but as you, you know, as you point point out, if you're just tapping away into it, it will actually come. You can actually put in some really almost bizarre sentences or requests in there, and it will come out with some with some decent stuff. So I, I, and I think we'll go through some of this about why I, you know, this whole no UI approach, I think, is is a phrase that I want consigned to some sort of bin, and it stays in 2022. Um, I think it is still quite clunky. It's anything that is just purely text driven that, that demands you to be typing in in that way um, is still clunky. It's um, it's not the smoothest um, UI I've I've seen. But then that goes down to what is it actually for? Because if it's for document writing and stuff, then actually it'll sort of do that. If it is for you to sit down there and chat with, like we've we've had, like you know we've we've really stretched it in various ways and mm -hmm. like this i've done you know i've done all sorts of things with it to see exactly what sort of output it's going to give you then um then it's really good it's really good for that um if you could upload document you know there's there's all sorts of bits to it that you could make it better or make it more more adaptive or whatever but what i'm struggling with is is so what is it actually for and the example i will or the analogy i'll give is google glass Google Glass, brilliant bit of kit, really, really amazing bit of kit. And what it could do it was fantastic. And I I spent a lot of time looking at different use cases, everything from um, police and ambulance services all the way through to the military, through to just general users. Um, but one of the reasons that Google Glass sort of kind of finished the way it did, and it's not entirely over, they, they are doing more stuff with it, but the way that that whole thing um, finished the way it did is because nobody could truly find... Right, it, it's great. It's a nice gadget, but but what's the actual requirement? Um, and so this is kind of what we need to do with this. Is I think there is uh, there's a lot of utility, um, but just fight, we've got to nail actually what is it for, or what are instances instances of it going to be for, and how is it marketed? But fundamentally, I guess it opens them bigger questions about you know just how important is you is is a UI going to be for all sorts of AI. Lots of um, uh, two-letter acronyms going going around tonight. Um, just how important is that UI going to be to to really truly allow people to get the full power out of this um, out of out of this interface, out of this um, this this chatbot? I mean, I, 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 I long way around of me just saying I'm 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 angry, but I love it. I, I'm wondering. You bring up the example of Google Glass, and I'm wondering if this is not sort of a multi-tool, right? Google Glass had a lot of applications and AR wasn't mature at that as you know as it is today and so but something like this feels more like a multi-tool and I didn't really talk about it in my initial reaction but I'm thinking something like this type of interface would make voice virtual assistants actual use actually useful right so if you have a, a UI where um, you know you have the the in-home devices that I don't know. I've, I've stopped using because I've found sort of the limits of their usefulness to be turning on and off the lights and to tell me, you know, play a song or something like that. Right. And but this would make them tremendously more useful if I could have a conversation with them and be like, you know, generate a couple ideas and then have it come back snappy with just a couple ideas right then and there. Um, or, you know, if I'm working at my desk and I'm writing on something or typing or, you know, give me this so that way I can just ask it and multitask while I'm using it. So I think that in in itself and and having sort of understanding what the text input is going to feed into those future applications i think this could also replace something like google where uh mm -hmm. it is a true assistant in the in the sense of you know if you have something that's chat gpt supposedly doesn't access the internet although you can get it to do it um there's uh there's ways in which um you know if it was attached to the internet you could ask for the latest news on something and it could return something based on the context that you've given it give me the news within the human factors domain boom then you don't even need our weekly roundups anymore see we're, we're obsolete or you know i still do it but that's how i get it and yeah. you know there's to me the the simplicity of being able to query in your everyday life is sort of the benefit here right um I'm I'm very careful about what information I put in there because it remembers everything, right? So I don't use it for work yet, although I can see this being very useful where, you know, you put in uh, a list of 
bullet points and it comes out with a summary for you. And um, I've been tempted, but again, like company data, I don't want to put that in there yet. And so, because uh, I'm just not sure it's not been vetted with our IT department, all that stuff. There's, um, but personal uses, I, I've put in like a bunch of stuff for the podcast because I'm not afraid if anyone else gets in the Human Factors podcast space. What do you, who cares? Um, more the merrier. Uh, so, so like for me, the productivity increase of having this, like I have almost like a dedicated window up. Funny, I have it up on both of my side monitors right now, but <laughs> <laughs> I have a dedicated window up for this thing now because I, I, I have now, you know, shifted my workspace to have two working windows and one assistant window that I can just throw prompts in there. Um, and just by the way, they've added an update, uh, probably, yeah, since definitely since this thing was, um, published and definitely since we talked last, where now it has all your conversations down the left-hand side. So it remembers everything. And, uh, it's just a bunch of new chats for me and I can't, identify which one's which because i've thrown in like 500 something odd queries to this so i'm like you know searching through new chat nope that's not it new chat nope that's not it but it's nice it's there i can continue those conversations when i want to anyway uh and then i've also ha wasted things like ai toilet paper dispenser um that you know if you're in the pre-show you you know what that is uh <laughs> so chat gtp so, so ultimately i think there's some good value to having this thing be easy and ubiquitous to use for users. No UI, that's a little bit of a exaggeration. The UI is a conversational interfa interface. And we've talked about conversational interfaces on the show before. But uh, the, the conversational interface is very low friction because you're talking to it like you would talk to anything else. And you're yeah. typing to it in a way that you would type to anything else. And sometimes that communication can even be looser than you might talk to somebody else. Like, uh, hey, here's a bullet point. Do something with it. You know, and it's like it, it would do something with it and you're not specific. And so it'll bring back a couple of different things. And having that type of ability uh, with just so little information that you can put out there into the world and have it generate something that is useful to you, ideally, is the power here that we're talking about when we look at this UI or the usability of this program. So there's a million different directions we can go, Barry. Um, where do you want to go? So I kind of wanted to critique just some, so, you know, what, what would be the top three changes you would make to, to the UI um, to make it useful for you? So I, just in using it for me, I because in the article that we've been using, and I'm going to um, hopefully pull that up if I remember where I put it. Um, no, I'm not. Um, they sort of highlight that the other way that this could have gone would have been for the software to clearly display and explain everything to the user about what it is that they could do. Um, be you know like have um loads of stuff up on on the side loads of cues and all that sort of stuff and they've gone down this um this clean approach um not have lots of info boxes not have lots of tool tips and and links and training things and you can argue actually is there a happy medium between the two yes so and I, and i think there is i mean as as you've sort of highlighted um every time you start a new chat now you get a new chat save on the uh, on on the in the left hand um column um so you have the opportunity there to change the name of the chat and so it just says new chat that's what it's titled as wouldn't it be so much neat if it just actually bought in the first thing that you'd put in there because the chances are you're you're putting in a prompt about something and because it could be clever it would actually just put the topic it does it does do that about. it's the new chats are for the older chats uh but like for mm. example the ai toilet paper dispenser that it came up with its own and it's labeled that chat model okay. unable to help is is the result of the first query the one the last one before that which was by the way this one is give me 268 reasons why human factors cast might be the best podcast uh it's the query in the in the thing oh yeah it. yeah it did uh -huh. it. there's 268 reasons here and i could go through all of them but that would take way longer than we have time for so uh, just know that you're listening to the best podcast um <laughs> one of the best podcasts um but the so 
I guess there's one there's the bit that I sort of wanted to pick up here is really if you're just sitting here conversationally and you're tapping stuff in, it, it is brilliant. And you know, you can listen to the um, last episode as well that we where we wax their color, just how amazing it is. I should you know, you show this to people who've not seen it before and literally jaws hit the floor. It's all wow. Look at the quality of the output you've got. So if you're if you've got the time here to sit and type and and do stuff, then it's fine. It works really, really well. And I think the way that you describe it is is kind of the way I'm using it as well. So I've got it open as a as a half screen side window, and I love it for you know. I was we we've been talking about all sorts of all, all sorts of things like how do you you know developing a training course. We're thinking about doing um, some some of our own um, training courses next year, and so I just typed into how would I plan a training course, and it there just come go. up. Well, you'd lay out this and you do this. You, there's many ways you could do it, but we would suggest doing ding, 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 ding. And it's not necessarily telling you how to do it, but it's it's getting you off that start line. It, rather than looking at a blank sheet of paper, it's giving you some really good content that is it's not copied. It's been developed for you so you can use it. But then you still got to go and tweak it. Um, if I'm honest and, and open with everybody, the um, the blurb for the news, I didn't write that. <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna ask i was gonna ask with the exception of there's one paragraph in the middle that i put in uh because i thought it added just a little bit more use um uh, and a little just a little bit more more to it and what i sort of put in saying i give it the entire article and say can you give me a 200 word um overview uh or 200 word synopsis go and it come back with like 170 words and i was like thank you very much um whereas normally i'd spend you know you'd spend a bit, bit of time copying it in you'd, you'd synthesize it and yeah it, it's and it was good enough you know quick quick note on that though to go along with our conversation from last week where we were talking about sort of understanding what is and isn't ai generated we talked about the watermarks a little bit i've become a lot better at detecting the language that has been coming out of this thing and so looking at your blurb today i knew exactly that it was the program at least from the first sentence like i can tell there are certain sentence structures that it's following there are certain things that it will do that you start to understand over time so even in the span of a week i've become even better at detecting this stuff and i feel like we're as a society going to get better at detecting this as well so it's going to be a lot harder to plagiarize and to basically use it as a uh, crutch in in some certain circumstances like yes you can use it as a starting point um but like it's very clear to me that it is <laughs> that it wrote yeah. this when the first word is chat gpt like that, <laughs> you know i yeah. can tell by the first word but the i mean the interesting bit here is so to take the human factors approach across all of it is what is the point here are we trying to get across a message to a third party um, in a way that is literate and meaningful, or are we trying to get some text written by an AI? Because clearly, from a um, a use case perspective, a, a user goal, I have a message that I want to get to get across to the audience. I know for a fact that um, me writing starting from scratch, I find it difficult. I think most people do. If you start with a blank sheet of paper saying, right, I need to write 200 words on chat AI, you'll be like, right, okay. Um, and by the time you procrastinated a bit, you've gone and maybe, I don't know, tidied your desk because you don't want to get in touch with it. Um, you've cleaned up something else and then you'll maybe get down to it. You've, or then you'll stop for a, for a break. Um, and that's how I, my entire degree pretty much. Um, but at least with this, you could turn around and say, I know I've got to get a message across. And you're right, the structure is um, is the way it is because it's following rules um, and probably more literally following rules than we normally do when we set it, when we put in um, structures together. Um, we can, we will be more dynamic with um, with language and I can be very dynamic with language because I'm terrible. But the, the idea behind this is, you know, chuck, chuck it in there, you get a start, you read it through. I change a few, a few bits, like I said, I actually put a huge chunk in the middle, um, and it saved a whole lot of time. And but I've still got that endpoint, which gives us um, a summary of the article for the show, and it's allowed us to talk about it. So it's achieved its goal. 
spot on. I'm very happy. Um, whether I'd done that or largely what we sometimes also do is maybe chop out the top 200 words of the article and put it straight in, um, maybe with a nice rounding off. I still haven't written it. You know, it's we, we give the we give the credit and the kudos to the uh, to the author of the article and and we credit them. Um, the end the end result is still the same. So, I think what is quite neat for me here is if you could actually get use this almost as an API, and I, I think this will be where it'll go. You can, the, yeah. So then you have almost different instance instance of it done where you can sort of um, you know if you're wanting to. I don't know, summarize documents, then you just have a nice big open text box, cut and paste your stuff in. You're maybe got some cues as to, right, if you want a, a short, medium, long, or you want an executive summary, you know, this is the phrase to write, write that, cut and paste your document in, bish, bash, bosh, done. Um, or if you want to have a, a virtual assistant, it does that because, like you said, with the connect connectivity to the internet, this would be just next level. Um, mm. Apparently, it stopped learning at the end of 2001. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, like I said, it'd be, I wonder why they did that really and why it doesn't keep on learning. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be quite cool. Um, I was, where, where did I start off with that? So, yeah, so. Only had some sort of assistant to remind you. I know, but this is just so exciting. This is what I, I think is really cool about this. So what I don't like about the UI is. In given what we're doing, it's a bit like many things. You don't really know what you can do. Now, we don't. So the other analogy I would use is when you get a mobile phone now, you don't read the training manual. You It doesn't exist anymore because nobody does. You learn by exploring. What does this have to do? What, what settings have changed? But that's because you can go on an exploring nature. You it, It's very visual or it can be um, haptic or, not, or audio. Um, audio. Whereas this, if you don't know what to type in that box as, as sort of, initial prompts or whatever um or if you if you can't as, as has been pointed out we can't interrogate it properly you, you, you're not really going to learn because you don't know what you're missing um and so i have a real problem with that um yes you can Discoverability. learn ability you learn by exploring but you don't know what to explore um right. unless you've got time just to sit there and just go do you know what blue is so and so a couple things to this point so first off I agree with you. The The understanding of what this is capable of. I mean, we talked about some extreme cases last week about pushing this thing to be a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, that is an extreme case that it can do. And you just have to prompt it the right way. And and if you if you log into this interface, it's, it's fairly simplistic. It is a chat box with a couple examples, capabilities, and limitations. And I think those are great. However... There's more things that exist than just these examples, than just these capabilities, than just these limitations. And what I think would be a tremendous add to something like this is to simply rotate those with some other capabilities, limitations, and examples. Um, you know, say instead of explain quantum computing in simple terms, say, you know, explain to me what human factors is in the form of a limerick. Like there's there's ways that you can press it to or, or, or subtly encourage the users to push it in different ways. Heck, you could even make the the system itself provide some examples and then have those feed in like the the waiting screen when it's at capacity actually you know write me a stand up joke about chat gpt right there's like those are examples too but why are those not included here or why don't they at least rotate them to give the user some idea of ways in which you can push it because the more we push it as a community then you and I can sit and talk to like I did this I made it made code for this thing um you know, and I think there's there's uh, there are communities for it. I follow some of those communities, but I'm not up to date with everything. And some of the top posts I'll like see, you know, it's like, oh, wow, they pushed it to do that thing. That is incredible. I'm going to try that in my whatever It inspires me to push it in ways and see if I can get it to work for certain things. Um, and and I just would like to see more of that discoverability. Right. When you ask something, what can you do? Right. Uh, the, the voice assistants will say, well, I can do this, that, the other thing. Um, and and, you know, if you ask them, what else can you do? They'll continue on. But the answers are mostly the same. They'll not tell you 
you know, a, a, a randomized list of things. They might, but it's going to be finite. And this, it's like, what can you do? Um, you know, it's like, well, what are you trying to do? It can talk back to you and understand a little bit more of you about your context. It's like, well, I just don't know what I want to do yet. Well, here's some like crazy out of the box ideas that you could maybe play with. Um, and I think it is resonating. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's currently almost part of its weakness um, is that it is so generic. But I think, you know, clearly the 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 application of this, um, given that sort of context. So one of the bits that we've um, that we've highlighted is. Um, a, a real flavor of the month and it will be the f- next fl- flavor of the next two years is human robot teaming um and, and obviously putting that ai in the center of that so this in a um in a there's a couple of projects i'm working with at the moment is this will be ideal for you to sit there and not only be able to say i want to know about this i want to know about that um i want you to be able to go and do this i want you to be able to go and do that but if you're not sure about whether the machine can do something for you to be able to sit there and say, how can you help me? What can you do for me today? Um, have that conversational piece as well will be will be hugely, hugely powerful. And almost it will it will open up um, human robot teaming in a way that it was meant to be as you watched it on Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, them sort of um, things, the, the proper hello computer um, type of thing. Right. Well, let me let me even back up a step because you you brought up a couple things there that I want to make sure we touch on. Right. The API thing first uh, you brought up a little earlier in the show. And then you also brought up sort of this human AI robot teaming aspect. And I think largely to continue the discussion we were just having about its usefulness and being able to communicate what it can do to users, I think we'll eventually see. Uh, some improvements here when the API is being used in specific applications, right? So let's take, for example, a couple different domains, right? Let's take the healthcare example. You ask it in a healthcare setting, it's in your MyChart or whatever system that you're using for tracking your health. And you say, what can you do? Well, I can provide you a list of immunizations that you need or do not have recorded. Um, I can provide you updates on when you should get checked out next. I can, you know, provide you... um, you know, some analysis on some of your past records, that type of thing, right? Those are some things I can do for you. What would you like to do, right? So it can give you the context, right? So there's healthcare. You can think about like in a virtual environment, you could use these as like non-player characters in role-playing games, right? And they could come back and say, you know, what, what can you do? And it would be in character, assuming that it could assume that character and say, well, I could send you to the farm for a quest, or I can have you go kill these monsters for another quest, or I could have you do that thing, uh, you know, and have it respond in a way that's actually in character and um, makes sense. So you can do those types of things. Can you imagine if you had sort of um, assistance built into uh, like public transportation systems where you go up to it and say, I need to get to this location and they can come back and say, okay, well, you can take a bus from here to here, take a train from here to here, and then walk the rest of the five minutes from the station. Or you could take, you know, this train um, and then, it's just going to take a little bit longer. It can explain to you the nuance of every option that you have available, including pricing, uh, including um, accessibility options, all those things, right? Basically, if it has access to a system that you have, imagine these are being used for work uh, someday, they have access to all the code that you have in software development, and they can, you can tell it, hey, we need to make this feature, um, code it up. And then they have basically your existing code, so it's not... And they have access to all the code that's out there in the world, um, you know, open source, and they can then make something that you trial and error. And at least most of it's going to be there. And you're, you know, you can really facilitate software development. So, I mean, there are ways in which I can see this being incredibly useful based on the context in which you're using it. I don't want to go too much into detail here because there's a million different domains that we can go (laughs) into. But those are just a few examples of how, I think this will be transformative in a lot of ways. When you think about this easily accessible UI, what can you do? It'll be largely based on context. Right now, we're looking at Google, a Google-type interface where you can search in Google, and you know you're coming to Google for search. You're trying to find out some information. And I think this is going to operate a very similar way. You're coming to this just, it's an omni-tool. 
um, in, in, you know, so many words. And when it doesn't do the thing that you're expecting, it breaks. And that's okay. Then then the limits of your uh, understanding of the system have expanded because you know it can't do this thing. Or it pushes you to push the machine to do a different configuration of that prompt. So that way it can actually do the thing. Because I've encountered that very scenario. It's it's not doing the thing, but I I know it could do this. How do I adjust the prompt? Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's an interesting point of discussion where a lot of that stuff will be. Oh, I've activated my voice word by saying um, <laughs> one of those things. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me as a sort of a final thought on this, it's the... Um, it is brilliant. I think there is. Um, it's clearly now it's going to go places. Um, it's it's the open the Pandora's box. The interesting bit for me is now around how do we personalize these services? How do we where? How does your personal data get stored in a way that is useful on a on the internet? Because it's going to, it will you know it has to be internet based to to allow that level of connectivity. Um, how do we maximize the use of your personal data to allow you to have personalized services? for your transport, for your, you know, whatever it is, for your healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, whilst retaining confidence in it that it's actually still secure as, as your data in this whatever it is. Um, and that is all how we have faith in the UI. So I'm excited. I think you're excited, and I can't wait to see how it, where it goes next. Yeah, I'll just mention one more thing that's uh, kind of opening up Pandora's box here, but there are certain populations that might uh, benefit from, I don't know, some some qualifiers in the UI, especially around accuracy of information. I'm thinking children who are are looking to this thing as like a... Um, you know, it can it can engage with them in a way that's age appropriate, but it might not bring back information that's 100% truthful in some cases. And so how do you... How do you provide sort of accuracy measurements of the things that are coming back to say, hey, look, it might be this, but it might not be this. And then also, you know, that goes with the aging population, too. This is going to be uh, or, or those with cognitive impairments as well. It's, it's going to be one of those things where you're going to want to let people know that the, how this model works behind the scenes as they ingest that information, because not everyone is going to listen to this episode of Human Factors Cast and understand all the all the intricacies <laughs> why not I, I don't understand why they wouldn't do that i don't know maybe we're training the model now anyway thank you thanks to our patrons this week for selecting the topic that we heavily influenced last week and thank you to our friends over at ux collective for our news story this week if you want to follow along we do post the links to the original articles on our weekly roundups in our blog you can also join us on our discord for more discussion of these stories and much more we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to see what's going on around the community right after this Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, that's right. Patreon rewards are always evolving. We got we got some fun stuff to talk about here in just a minute. But first, I want to thank all of our Human Factors cast, all access patrons like Michelle Tripp. Um, you all keep the show running. Obviously, we want to give back to you. So with all access, there's a new excitement, exciting announcement. Excitement. Ooh. Is that exciting? I'm excited. That's, that's excitement. Uh, <laughs> hey, Human Factors cast Academy. We mentioned this at the top, but basically... Um, so, so this is for all access. Uh, we're excited to kind of announce this new benefit. Um, it's it's Human Factors Cast Academy is what we're calling it. It's a collection of all the learning resources that we put together, put out there, eBooks, webinars, courses, other resources organized by topic for your convenience. 
uh, it's um, it's currently in development. We're working very hard on this, making sure to bring you a wide variety of high quality educational materials. You know, we we have access to a lot of things back here that we want to make sure that you have access as a Patreon supporter to the show as well. Um, and uh, basically making making all this stuff available for everyone um, and for everyone at the all access tier, I should say. <laughs> uh, so to take advantage of it, you know, log into Patreon, sign up for that tier. We also have another exciting thing to come later that we'll talk about. I'm hinting at it, but uh, our Human Factors cast VIPs will be getting something very soon that we're excited about. And it'll actually benefit everybody uh, that's a patron. So if you're interested in learning about what that is, we do have some information on our Patreon site now. So if you wanted to get a little bit of a teaser for what that is, you can go check it out there. Anyway, uh, let's get into this next part of the show we like to call. It came from. It came from. That's right. This is the part of the show uh, it came from. That's it. It's it's where we look all over the internet to bring you topics the community's talking about. Uh, and for the second week in a row, we got a, another Discord one, which I'm so thankful for. I love the Discord ones because that is truly from our listener community. Uh, and so this one here is from Karina, and they write about transferring to human factors or UX for, as an occupational therapist. Um, so this one's an interesting one. There's a lot more context in the Discord that you can go look at and and uh, read if you're interested in the full context. And I encourage you all to do so because I've truncated this response to be <laughs> to this uh, this question to be very short. But the long and short of it is, I've really enjoyed being in the healthcare industry. But it wasn't until I became an occupational therapist and working with patients from all walks of life that piqued my interest on how tasks, processes, etc. can continuously be improved. I'm not sure how I can get into the field in the first place. Are there certain jobs and positions I should look out for that can be some kind of starting point? So we talked a little bit about starting points into UX uh, generally, but I think this is uh, an interesting situation where you're, you know, you're a little bit further into your career. You're trying to figure out what's the next step. How do you get into human factors uh, or UX, right? I, I did do a follow-up question. Looks like they're trying to become a UX researcher in the space. And so that's, you know, another one of my top mentee questions. But Barry, how would you get into the space, uh, you know, to, to sort of look at these tasks, processes, et cetera? Well, it's interesting because actually I would say a good half, if not more, of the people, if I went out to the whole human factors domain, um, I would say a half, if not more, are not primary human factors uh, professionals because most people have got a primary degree in something or started a career in something found human factors and went oh it's amazing how do i then do that and so actually transitioning is i would say it's it's, it's simple but it's difficult i think it's simple because i think you know if, if you've got something that that can apply because you've got loads of skills you've got loads of things that you already do that we are looking for um and as an occupational therapist sitting down and looking at them sort of things and saying, right, what what directly transfers? So listen to a few episodes of this podcast. Look, um, you know, look, look at YouTube and, you know, just do a basic bit of research around what, what are the big building blocks of human factors and UX. And therefore, you should you will be able to go along with that with, with what you do already and tick a few boxes there. Um, and then use that as a basis to go find, finding jobs. Um, get your network up and running. You're already doing the right thing by being on our Discord uh, because you've got lots of like-minded uh, people. Um, the Human Factors community is possibly one of the kindest, nicest networking communities, I think, of any discipline um, because I like working with nice people, hence why I've stayed. Um, and so nobody is going to, you know, be shouty or off or anything like that for you asking um, advice and things like that, which you're already finding. Um and so build it, start building up networks, building them contacts and just talk to people. Nick, what about you? How would you, uh, how would you uh, tackle this one? Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. And I'm going to suggest maybe a non-conventional approach here, which is to look for internships. I know that can be counterintuitive when you're so far in your career. And I think one sort of benefit to looking at internships is the ability to be non-committal about something. And I know that sounds, um, <laughs> That sounds bad, but in in a way, it's basically doing a trial run for whether or not you enjoy the work. Uh, you can then sort of understand what skills 
you have that are going to transfer well. You understand what skills you have that are not going to transfer well or gaps in your knowledge. Um, you know, even by working in a simple internship, it also gets you work experience, which gets you in the door. And, you know, I wouldn't be sort of, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say you're limited by starting at a at an internship and then going and applying for like a senior position, because then you'll know what skills transfer. And you can at least use that as leverage to say, look, I've done a job before and it's been an internship. Sure. But it's really taught me which my skills are transferable. And hey, as an OT, Actually, it turns out a lot of them are talking to people, uh, research. You know, I think there's a lot of really transferable skills there. So that might be one way in um, because oftentimes the thresholds for internships are fairly low. Uh, or I say lower than, you know, the the I guess the stakes around those internships are lower because a, um, a company is more likely to take a chance on you. It's often for a finite amount of time, either a summer, a winter, something like that, a short term. And again, it just gets you exposed to the environment. Now, if you this is like something you're absolutely sure of, you're gung-ho, is there anyone you can, you know, you know that can take a chance on you and and put you into a position that uh matches your skill set? I think that might be another way in. It's all about who you know, right? And if you know somebody uh through your experiences as an OT or through your experiences, then that might be um a, a second good way to get in. Um any anything else Barry for that one? The only other thing that I've, and I was talking to a, a sort of mentee about this last week, is the way that they, they were heavily involved in the um, medical profession. And what they started to do was um, start, start to apply human factors techniques that they, you know, they had in their books and things like that, and started applying them to their day job, not necessarily as a, um, as a, as a real output of their job but it meant that they could do you know they did a task analysis they um they they did a um critical design review they you know they did they did all the different bits and they just applied it to what they were doing and then got somebody to have a look at them to say right i've done this on this task um what do you think do, is, have i done it right so it's a with a bit of a mentoring type type approach um just having a go at doing some of the stuff um in your own time helps yeah find find somebody else who's followed a similar path and ask them questions about it. If, you know, if they're nice and they're in the human factors field. I mean, let's be clear. There's a couple real assholes in the field, but they're far and few between. Uh, Barry is is uh, probably I'm correct. I'm one of them. I know the other. <laughs> <laughs> I would say he's probably correct about there being, you know, like 99.9% nice people in the field. Like you talk to any of them, approach to any of them it can be intimidating in some cases if you're, you know, a little earlier on in your career. But I think uh, in most cases, people are more than happy to sit down with you and talk to you. So find someone who's had a similar experience and talk to them about it. All right, let's get into this next one here. This one is by uh, Leon8T from the UX Research subreddit. There's a, how to learn scientific research methods if I transition from a designer position. So they were wondering if there are courses that teach uh, market research, ethnographic research, quantitative, qualitative research, those types of things. I want to get a comprehensive knowledge of tools and techniques. Uh, so that's the question. Barry, where can they go and learn more about research methods? So I would be then going straight to, so I don't know whether they do them in the US, but in the UK, we have research methods courses um, that do. So if you're going to go and do a master's or a PhD or something like that, it's effectively the first course you will do. Uh, it's the first module you'll do is a research methods. Um, then we can, we've, we sort of, don't necessarily like them as much, but the there are boot camps out there. You can you could go and waste your money on a boot camp. Um, no, some of them I'm sure one or two of them must be good. And and actually, if you just wanted a weekend of it being thrown at you as a starting point to then go and have a taster for other stuff, I think that's probably where their value is. Books. Um, there's some really really good books out there. Um, there's two out there that I use like a bible um and or there's one specific that i use as a bible for all, all my re it's my first place i go to for all of my research methods um and then finally there are online training courses um we've already had mentioned in the show tonight about a potential new training course um resource um but i'll let nick, nick wax lyrical a bit more about that one but youtube um you know if you go and do some of that um there is loads of stuff online already that you can do the dry reading on. Um, the problem with doing some of this stuff on books and online is it doesn't bring it to life. Um, and sometimes 
the methods that we use sometimes can be a little bit dry, a lot of pen and paper stuff. Um, unless somebody can bring it to life for you, you can sometimes slightly lose the will to live. Um, but what, once you see the power of what it can do by somebody who knows what they're doing with it, um, or you can just chat to somebody about it, say, oh, I've, I've just heard about this methodology, what do you do with it? Then it can actually really change perception. Nick, I'd, I'm, I'm going to guess where you're going to go, um, but how, how would you teach something like some scientific scientific research methods? Can you guess why I picked this one? No, I'm, I'm getting some really good ideas for Human Factors Cast Academy here. Uh, are, are we pushing that? I don't know. Uh, so so look, here's the thing, though. If, if you're looking at the, <laughs> the entire internet, there are going to be, like Barry said, resources out there available for you to look at and to uh, understand what each of them do and he's right there that's about it your knowledge will be of the research methods and not necessarily how they apply to your work and so what i my recommendation here is to basically learn about when to use each one when it's appropriate to use each one depending on your sort of needs or requirements of user research uh, or human factors research and understand the basics and then if you've decided that it is um, well within your capacity to try something new, to try to get at uh, an outcome that is deemed necessary, then um, try it. And from there, basically document if it's worked, uh, then great. And use that, use those best practices going forward. Keep that, keep up that momentum. Um, if it didn't work or it didn't work the way that you thought it would document why it didn't, you know, return those results that you were expecting, um, and document maybe why it failed and take those lessons learned forward with you for the next thing. So I think understanding what you've tried and, and why it did work or why it didn't work is a good postmortem to conduct, uh, when you're, when you're looking at these methodologies. So I wouldn't necessarily think that it's, you need this comprehensive knowledge, just a starting point to understand what's out there. And then if you if you have the capacity to try something new in your research, do it and push yourself and try to get it to work. And if it doesn't, then it's your job on the line, not mine. All right. So we got one more here. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, one more, I know. We got one more, we got one more here uh, tonight. This is by Wiz uh, Khalifa. Uh, why, Wiz Khalifa? <laughs> Spelled P-H-O. Uh, nice. Um and from the user experience subreddit, when you when do you give potential employers the password to your case, for your case study? Jeez, uh, can I just answer now? Um, so uh, they they write, I created a case study for the project that I've been working on, but the product hasn't launched yet. When should I give potential employers the password for this case study, or should I just write it on my resume and only show it during interview presentations? Barry, what are your thoughts on on giving passwords to prospective employers about projects that you've worked on? If it's a project that hasn't launched yet, um, I'm guessing you it's not your project, it's your company's project. Therefore, it's not yours, I hate to say. Um, you're, you're going to be stymied by your own contract. You're, you're going to be releasing information out there. Um, unless you have an NDA with the person who's doing your interview, which I'm still not entirely convinced in my head is the would actually work anyway. Um, yeah, if, it, if, it, if the product hasn't launched, I don't think you should be sharing it at all anyway. However, um, there is, I, po I possibly wouldn't, I wouldn't do it until the interview itself. If, if it was launched and I could do it, I would uh, possibly, you know, put it into maybe um, some graphics or something into my application um, and then walk them through it at the interview. I wouldn't necessarily send it in. Personally, but there, are, there are, it, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on um, the type of interview you're going for and what it is. Personally, the way that this particular one has been described, I would be verging on never um, because I don't think it's your um, intellectual property. Um, certainly if it's not launched yet. Um, if you've got permission from your, your current employer, which I think would be difficult if you're going for a job interview, um, <laughs> if you've got permission from your current employer to do it, that's a different ballgame. I'm going on the assumption that your current employer doesn't know you're going for a job job interview. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm going on never, personally, or this one specifically. Yeah, yeah. Good, good points, good points. I am thinking that in this particular case, you're right. In general, in general, if you were to... Uh, if you had something locked behind 
a uh, a password, well, why do you have it locked? There's probably a good reason that you have it locked. Uh, is it because it's under NDA? Is it because that, you know, for one reason or another? Anyway, think about those reasons. But if you decide that it's it's uh, that you're going to share it with them anyway, at some point, send it along with your resume. Um, don't hold them up just from, you know, somebody who's looking at resumes. They might already be looking at somebody else if they can't get access to it. They might just kind of I wouldn't say they write you off, but they kind of put you in the await awaiting pile where somebody else might have sent it in. And I'm already looking at their portfolio. Um, and and Barry brought up a really good point about NDAs. Don't break those. Uh, that's just a bunch of trouble. And it's it's especially tricky if you are applying for like a competitor. Uh, <laughs> because then you've just given them a, a leg up on what's coming out of their competitor space. And that is a uh, oof. So anyway, um, be professional about it. Uh, don't shoot yourself in the foot and um, have fun. Not my job. All right. So uh, <laughs> not theirs either. Not theirs either. Apparently. All right. Let's just get into one more thing. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? It's Christmas. And yes, it is. We've been doing so tonight. We've been out with the family, and there's been a big, um, amazing illuminated walk trail that we've walked around as a family. Um, eldest daughter's back from university, honestly, and it's just so nice to have this time together. Tomorrow we go in for a, a mini expert uh, expedition up north to go and see uh, my fam, my uh, parents. And so a couple of the kids are coming up with me to do that. And then, but there's just so much around, and it's. I'm, I'm telling everybody else, I'm not doing it very well myself, that make sure that you take the time to put down the computer, put down everything else, put work away, which if you're self-employed, is, is I, I, I'm fully down with that being very difficult. But the days between Christmas and New Year, as much as you can, put, it, put everything away and just enjoy yourself because life's too short. Um, so yeah, Christmas, I'm really looking forward to it. You know what? My one more thing was something completely different from what I'm about to say, but you have just inspired me with the theme of family, and I am going to spend Christmas with my family this year. In fact, day after Christmas, my wife, my son, and I are going to embark on the magical journey of potty training. And so we are, we've got that whole week off, no <laughs> plans. Uh, I'm putting my phone down the entire day after Christmas, and we're just going to go and we're going to do, we're going to do the thing, right? Cause they say, they say make a whole week for yourself where you have no plans. So we're going to try it. And um, there's going to be a lot of bodily fluids and stuff all over me over the next week. And so if, you know, if uh, you're feeling sympathetic towards that, then um, maybe write me in our discord and say, I feel for you. I'm sorry. Uh, this is what worked for me. Give me some pointers. Could use them. Can you, can you keep like sort of a six hourly diary, audio diary? Oh, just, Ooh. just, to, just to the because I, having obviously three now quite uh, older children. Um, Are they potty trained? Just about. Okay. Um, <laughs> so our eldest, eldest is just um, has obviously just turned eighteen. So just, just now she's now into drinking age. Okay. So gotcha. different toilet usages. <laughs> um, but the um, yeah, good luck with that. I, I don't miss any of that at all. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> And reading the books, getting prepared. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I will, I will see what I can do about a, a six hourly diary. Although, okay, like okay, they, they say, or daily, because yeah. they say, put your phone away, put your phone away. Do not, because then you're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss it when, uh, when they, when they go to, to uh, relieve themselves. And I don't want to miss that because we gotta, we gotta get them to get them to the place. Anyway, that's it for this week, everyone. If you liked, uh, if you like, that's why I did toilet paper in the in the pre-show. Oh, I see. With it, all, it all comes yeah. back to you. Anyway, that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode, enjoy some of the discussion about. Uh, you know what? If if you enjoy some of the discussion about AI, go listen to our last episode. If you enjoy some of the discussion about chatbots, go listen to episode two fifty three, which is user perspective on categorizing chatbots and voice assistants. That was a good one. Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. For our, uh, visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, wherever you're at right now, you can stop. You can leave us a five-star review. That is free for you to do uh, and really helps other people find the show if they're just poking through those apps. Two, tell your friends about us. That word of mouth really helps us grow, um, especially 
a lot for those of you in graduate programs who have other friends who want to introduce us to them. Please do, because that really helps. And if you have the financial means to, we are always, always, always trying to give back to our Patreon supporters because you literally keep the show afloat. Uh, and we want to make sure that you are taken care of, too. So that is why we're doing things like Human Factors Academy and this other thing that I'm really excited about that we can't talk about yet, but we'll talk about at the beginning of next year. Uh, and so if you, if you have financial means to do so, do that. We'd love to be a continuing resource for you all. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners find you if they want to talk about uh, potty training 18-year-olds? If you want to go and talk about that, then you're going to need to go and see my daughter's Twitter. But anyway, no. If you want to come check <laughs> me, then find um, my Twitter and oh, any of any of my socials. Actually, Basil is okay. Um, if you want to come listen to interviews with other interesting human factors professionals, then um, come find me on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time. Until next, well, wait, because then we're going to be gone. Anyway, it, it depends. It depends. Bye. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.